Welcome to the National Community Church Podcast. We're thrilled to be able to share this weekend's message with you from Pastor Heather Zimple. You can find us on national.cc or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I know that kid masquerading as an angel, and I'm telling you, she's been shaking up our world ever since she was born. Welcome to National Community Church right here at the Capitol Turnaround, our Nova family, our Lincoln family, our NCC Online Anywhere family. So glad that you're joining us this weekend. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn over to Luke chapter 1, or you can follow along with the scripture passages, with the notes in our NCC app. We continue a series today called Fear Not. We're looking at the Christmas story through various fear not greetings that we see in the story. Fear not to Joseph, to Mary, to the shepherds. And today we look at a fear not greeting that comes to a priest named Zechariah. So we're going to jump right in. Luke 1 verse 5. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Now, last weekend, Pastor Mark set the stage for us talking about King Herod and talking about the world of King Herod, geographically, politically, culturally, historically. And it's into this world that Zechariah and Elizabeth come. Zechariah the priest, not to be confused with the Old Testament prophet of the same name. And we learn that they're both of priestly origin. Zechariah, though, is from the clan of Abijah, which means he's not part of the high priestly ruling class in Jerusalem, known as the Sadducees. The Sadducees were part of the priestly line that were aristocracy in Jerusalem. They become the enemies of Jesus later in the story. Zechariah is from a smaller clan that lives outside of Jerusalem, but he will come in to Jerusalem periodically and regularly with his division to serve in the temple. And we also learn from the text that Elizabeth and Zechariah are not just pious because of their family affiliation or because of his vocation, but specifically they are obedient. They are faithful. They are righteous. The writer of Proverbs would say that Zechariah and Elizabeth walk in the fear of the Lord. Now that's that's a little hard phrase to deal with because we're in a series called Fear Not. And yet the Bible also says we should walk in the fear of the Lord. The most helpful definition ever given to me for what it means to walk in the fear of the Lord is that it means we reverence God and reference God in all we say and do. So we reverence God with a V, meaning that we recognize he is king. He is the one that gets to decide what is good and what is true and what is beautiful in our world. And then we reference God with an F, meaning we look to him as our compass. He points to true north. He gives direction for our lives and we trust that when we walk in that way, 
that all things work together for the good. So we reverence God, we reference God. And Zechariah and Elizabeth walk in the fear of the Lord. And when you walk in the fear of the Lord, as Pastor Mark said last week, you don't have to fear anything else. But even though they walk in the fear of the Lord and they are righteous and they are obedient, they're also walking in disappointment. Because despite their righteousness, despite their obedience, despite their faithfulness, despite his role as a priest, they have no children. And they're very old. Now in this culture, childlessness was seen as the disfavor of God. It was seen as you have done something wrong and therefore God has withheld blessing from you. There were some Jewish rabbis that even taught that barrenness was grounds for divorce. So they're walking in faithfulness, but they're also walking in tremendous disappointment. And it's disappointment that comes from a few different places. They're disappointed in their circumstances. There's probably disappointment that comes from the gossip and the social view that is surrounding them. And I'm sure they had to be disappointed in God. Zechariah's name means the Lord remembers. Elizabeth's name means the oath of God or the God of promise. And they probably had to wonder, is that a mistake? The Lord has not remembered us. The Lord has not kept his promise to us. This is 2,000 years old, but I think we can all relate to this because disappointment is real. Disappointment in ourselves, disappointment in our circumstances, in our outcomes, in the people around us, even disappointment in God. And if we live long enough, even this season... With joy to the world, hope has come, peace on earth. Even in this season, if we've lived long enough, there is an ache that catches us because there's someone that's not at the table anymore. Or maybe there's someone that we longed to be at the table, that we expected to be at the table by now, that's still not there. And so for many of us, it's, it's like that movie Inside Out, when even our happiest memories are touched in some way by sadness. And then for some of you, it's, it's, it's even worse. I mean, Christmas can be a nightmare. Because here's what happens at Christmas. We take all the difficult stuff and difficult people in our lives and put it all around the table together. <laughs> in a very compressed amount of time, and the pressure builds in this pressure cooker in a way that exaggerates everything. And everything is magnified and highlighted. The situations you can't navigate, the problems you can't solve, the people you can't please, the expectations you can't meet, fa la 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 <laughs> And it can be hard. You're reminded of disappointment. You face disappointment. And what do you do when you feel like you have shown up to play your part? And God has failed to make his entrance. Hope is risky business. In fact, the, the phrase how long shows up in so many 
prayers throughout scripture. The Bible doesn't shy away from this idea. How long, how long, how long? I'm sick at heart. How long until you restore me? How long will you forget me? How long will you look the other way? How long will you look on and do nothing? How long must I wait? How long before you help? Isaiah, Jeremiah, the psalmist ask all of them, how long will this go on? And we all have our how long questions. How long before I'm, I'm happy in this marriage? How long until I'm reconciled with my kids? How long until you bring healing in my life? How long before I get out of debt? How long before my job makes sense? How long, how long, how long? How long before you restore the friendship? The prophets ask, how long? The psalmist asks, how long? And you know who else asks how long? Kids. Kids ask, how long? Last weekend, we're going to Nashville for Thanksgiving, and, um, and uh, if I had a nickel for every time Sawyer asked how much longer, I would own my own Major League Baseball team by now. And so what we do to pass the time is we play games, and there's only so much time you can spend playing I Spy, because once you've spied it, you've already passed it. And so we play a game called tra- road, uh, road Trip Scavenger Hunt. And everybody gets five cards. And on those five cards, you get five things that you might see on a road trip. A stop sign, a police car, uh, an emergency vehicle, a purple car, a tow truck, those kinds of things. And so we've been playing for quite a while. Sawyer had five cards. I had five cards. We'd been playing for a while. And then Sawyer is, I'm down to two cards. I've got two cards. I've got uh, a yellow car and a tow truck. I'm still looking for these things. Sawyer has a motorcycle. She's got one card left. She's looking for a motorcycle. And after seven, several minutes, by the way, I, I want to tell you how rare yellow cars are. <laughs> I didn't find this car until the next day. That's how long the game took me. But here's the deal. I won the game because Sawyer got so tired of playing, she gave up. She said, I'm bored, I quit, I'm done. I said, are you sure? Like, you're one card away, it's a motorcycle. She's like, yes, I am done. Sawyer can be very dogmatic and dramatic, if you can believe that. (laughs) So I was happy to take her card up front with me, and I said, all right, well, I win by forfeit. She's like, I don't care. What passed us at just that moment? (laughs) The motorcycle. It was an awesome opportunity for a little parental life lesson. (laughs) Sawyer, you don't give up. (laughs) You don't give up playing the game on your last card. You don't slow down on the last lap of the race. Don't stop. Keep showing up. I know you're walking in disappointment. I know you're asking the question, how long? But stay in the game. How long? See, in the scripture, what we find is that asking the question to God, how long, isn't the problem. He's not offended by that. He welcomes that conversation. But giving up and checking out might mean that we miss the miracle that's waiting in the wings. How long? What do you do with your weight? You keep showing up. 
What do you do with your disappointment? You play the long game. What do you do when it seems like God is absent and silent? You trade the fear of the unknown for faith in the unseen. Keep showing up in your how long. Hold steady, hold tight. In the face of disappointment, that's what Zechariah did. He kept serving, he kept showing up, he kept doing his duty with his division of priests. And I know that Zechariah, because of his faithfulness and because of his station, knew that God could work a miracle. I've got to believe that he believed with all his heart God would work a miracle, and yet he decided to show up and worship even when he did not. Hope is risky business. When you walk in disappointment, do not fear. Play the long game. And then we keep reading in verse 8. One day, somebody say one day. If you are online, put in the chat, one day, one day, Zechariah was serving in God in the temple for his order was on duty that week. His duty that week, just showing up, continuing to do what God had called him to do. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. One day, one day, Zechariah is serving in the temple. He is doing his daily duty, and God interrupts it with a divine declaration. One day, one day, one moment, one conversation, one decision can change the trajectory of our lives. And sometimes it changes the trajectory of all history. The angel shows up and says, don't be afraid, for God has heard your prayer. Now, in the midst of that announcement, did Zechariah think, huh, that took a minute. I mean, that promise is not coming a day late. By, by a very conservative estimation, if we believe they start really trusting God when, when Elizabeth's 20 and, and now she's 60, it is 14,600 days late. And yet one of the things that we learn is that one days often come after many days of faithfulness. Exodus 3.1, one, one day Moses was sending his flock. After 40 years in the palace and 40 years out in the wilderness, God finally shows up and gives him his calling. Ruth 2.2, one day Ruth told her mother-in-law she was going to the field to glean the grain. After grieving the loss of her husband, after leaving the country that she knows, after taking care of her mother-in-law, finally the day comes when she meets Boaz. 1 Samuel 17.17, 17, one day Samuel said to David, take this bread to your brothers on the battlefield. And after years, 
years of faithfully tending the flocks, David is given the opportunity with some stones and a sling to kill the giant. Esther 2.21, one day as Mordecai was on duty, he overhears a plot to assassinate the king. And that sets Mordecai up. It sets Esther up for them to save the entire Jewish people later in the story. God honors decades of long obedience in the same direction. And one day, the angel interrupts and says, the Lord has heard your prayer. You're having a baby. And again, in the midst of this good news, like, Cue the angel choirs to sing joy to the world, right? But even in the midst of this good news, you know, Elizabeth had on her medical record the same words that were on mine. Geriatric pregnancy. (laughs) I saw that on my medical record. I was only 40 years old. I wanted a second opinion. Not about whether or not I was pregnant, but whether or not that was geriatric. Elizabeth is facing a geriatric present, uh, pregnancy. Now, if I'm Zechariah, like, I, it seems like from the text, he isn't quite sure how to respond. And can we really blame him? First of all, God hasn't spoken for 400 years, and he's the first to hear it in 400 years. And he's seeing an angel. And he's being told he's going to have a baby. And he's being told the Messiah is coming. That's a lot to take in. And here's what I wonder. Now, granted, I'm, I'm reading into the text here, okay? I'm, I'm reading into the text with my own human experience. But is it possible that Zechariah found it hard to believe what the angel was saying because our past experience with disappointment We have to cover up that wound. We have to protect that wound. And to dare to believe this promise means opening that wound back up for potential more disappointment. So he asks for a sign. See, hope is is risky business because it means that we have to dare to believe again after we've already been through that, after we've already dealt with that, after we've already found ways to ignore it or medicate it or heal from it, you're going to have a baby. But here's the deal. One days don't just come after many days of faithfulness. One days also come in God's time and in God's way. Gideon had to downsize his army. Naaman had to dip in the Jordan. The walls of Jericho came down after a series of silent parades and then a shout. It's not how they would have planned things. This story is not the way that Zechariah and Elizabeth would have written it. It's not the way they planned it. And by the way, we'll get to Mary and Joseph in the next couple weeks. Their story doesn't unfold the way that they would write it either. The reality is Advent is the story of two unplanned pregnancies. Zechariah's and Elizabeth's came too late. Mary and Joseph's came too soon. And yet, you know what God called it? The fullness of time. 
Because while Zechariah and Elizabeth were playing the long game and showing up and patiently doing what God asked them to do, God was setting the stage for heaven to invade earth. God is watching as the political situation in the Roman Empire becomes perfect for the sending of his son. He's waiting for these internal wars of the Roman Empire to finally come to an end so that there's a civil peace that has not been seen in many, many years. He's waiting for the Greek language to be established as a common language across the empire so that his message can be heard by every tribe and every people. He's waiting for the first worldwide network of roads to be built so the missionaries of the early church can go out across the Roman Empire. When Zechariah and Elizabeth were waiting and praying and being faithful and serving and trusting, God was at work preparing the world for the arrival of his son. And God's one day is not just any day. It is the fullness of time. And just to, again, to drill down on this idea that God is very strategic and very intentional with what he does, I want to share with you something I just learned this week, okay? Can I do this? This isn't actually going to add a whole lot to like an application point for you, but I just want to share this because I'm so excited about it. The birth of John the Baptist that we're reading about here, Zechariah and Elizabeth's boy, tracks almost event by event with the birth of the prophet Samuel. Um, Hannah and Elkanah's boy. I brought a chart to show this in scripture. And we're gonna put it behind me so that some of you who get excited about this as well can take a picture, you can take that home, you can study it for yourself. But I mean, look, you, you've, got, you've got two couples who are barren, that are crying out to God. There's a promise that's given to them in the place of prayer. There's a miracle child. And, and here's, here's why I show this. Not just because I think this is kind of cool. But first, because God is always intentional and strategic with what he does. And the writers of the biblical text are likewise brilliant. Luke is telling us that just like Samuel was the prophet who came to prepare the way for King David, so John is the prophet who comes to prepare the way for the son of David to step into his kingly rule. And the second reason I show this is because this stuff makes me fall in love with the Bible more and more and more. And if there's anything I want to be successful at when I stand up here, it's to awaken in all of us an insatiable curiosity for Scripture. So if this does that in a little way, I just wanted to share it. All right, back to the story. When you face the disappointment, play the long game. When you're given a promise that's Seems too good to be true. Dare to believe again. And then if you read ahead in the story, you find Zechariah asked for a sign, right? This is too good to be true. He asked for a sign. He's given a sign. He becomes mute <laughs> for nine months. Can you, can you imagine? I'm, I'm trying to picture. He comes out, he comes out of serving the game of charades he must have had to play to communicate what the angel had told him. He's mute for nine months, but something happens in those nine months. In those nine months, faith grabbed a hold of him. 
Because when his mouth opened nine months later, I want you to go home and read it for yourself. For 14 verses, what pours out of his mouth is prophecy. He begins to prophesy that the Messiah is coming, that the kingdom is breaking forth, that God's rule is beginning to take root in the world. And then he prophesies over his son. Dads. Dads. Prophesy over your kids. There's something valuable that all of us as parents, moms, dads, grandparents, bring to our kids. If you're a father in this room, or you, you act in the role of a father to someone, would you get a word from God and speak it and pray it over your kids? Zechariah grabs a hold of faith on the far side of disappointment, and he passes it on to his son. And he's not the only one that passes faith on. When, when Elizabeth is six months pregnant, her cousin Mary shows up. And Mary is pregnant, and she's unmarried, and she's probably scared and confused. The first words out of Elizabeth's mouth, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the child in your womb. I am so favored that you would even come to visit me. And after that encouragement from this righteous, obedient, faithful woman, Mary immediately begins to sing the Magnificat. Could it be that it was Elizabeth's faith, that it was Elizabeth's proclamation, that it was Elizabeth's encouragement, that Mary for the first time was able to cut through the darkness of the moment, to cut through the confusion, to cut through the gossip and the social disfavor and see the good that was happening in her life. Elizabeth allowed Mary to borrow her faith and it erupted into a song of praise. Hope is risky business. So for those of you that have found faith on the other side of fear, would you look around and find someone else that needs to borrow it? And give them the encouragement that they need in the moment. I was a freshman in college. It was a few hours after midnight on New Year's Eve. I was sitting on the beach at Gulf Shores in Alabama. I was on a deck kind of looking out over the beach. And it was a season in my life when I was really asking God for discernment, for guidance, on, on what he wanted in my life. I, I was studying engineering, but um, I also, I, I didn't know, I loved missions and, and I loved theater and, and I didn't know how all those things fit together. I just knew that whatever I did, I wanted God to be in it. And so I'm sitting out on this deck and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of just talking to God in the silence of the night and, and I felt like God, I, it wasn't audible, but it's one of those unmistakable moments in my life. I felt like God said, Heather, would you just look down the shore? Would you look down the shore as far as you can see? And I, I looked down, and, and I could see a pretty long way down. I mean, it's, it's night, it's pitch black, but the shore is pretty lit. And so I can't see that far down, but I, I can see pretty far down. And I felt like God said, Heather, there, there's two ways to live. You can live your life walking along the shore, and that'll be in my will, 
You can do that in my way. You can do that and live a life of obedience and it'll be okay. But then I felt like he said to me, now I want you to look straight out across the water. I'm like, God, I can't can't see anything. He was like, no, 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 keep looking out across the water. And I couldn't see anything out across the water. It was pitch black. All I could see was the white of the waves crashing into the shore. And I felt like God saying, Heather, you can walk along the shore and you'll be in my will and my way. But if you really want an adventure, you'll come out into the unknown. If you really want to see miracles, you'll venture out from the shallows into the deep. If you venture out there, you get my presence. And I have come back to that moment so many times in my life as I'm standing in a place of decision and wondering, do I dare to believe again? Where do I take a step? Do I take the safe step down the shore or do I venture out into the unknown? When I'm leaving Capitol Hill and engineering to go into ministry and facing so much unknown and uncertainty, when I, when, I risk, when I risk feeling disappointment again with another round of fertility treatments, when, when I walk in the, the, the pain and the disappointment, the sadness of just seeing friends walk away from their faith, and in so many other moments that I, I would not ever want to relive except for the fact, and I, this is what's so crazy, in those hard moments is where I have most felt the presence of Jesus. It's in the darkest places, the most unknown places, the places of disappointment that we sense his kindness and his goodness and his mercy and his presence. Hope is risky business. Zechariah and Elizabeth both met God in the darkness and then saw his kingdom break forth. And not only witnessed it, they got to play a pretty significant role in it. God still works in his timing. Jesus didn't show up until thousands of years after the fall in the garden. Thousands of years after God first gave the glimmer of hope that one day your offspring will crush the head of the enemy. And he still does it in his way. A king comes as a baby in a manger to become a man on a cross to establish his kingdom on earth. Jesus came so that those who were walking in darkness would see a great light. And the voice that cut through the darkness to hurl lights throughout the universe at the beginning of time pierced through the darkness again in the cry of a child that hope has come. I want to invite you to just embrace Jesus in a new way this season. That's the story of Christmas, that light shines in the darkness, that hope comes in the midst of disappointment. What step can you take just to embrace the Christmas story a little bit more, to embrace Jesus a little bit more this season, to believe the unbelievable, to conceive the impossible, to experience peace even in the midst of the greatest chaos, to trade fear of the unknown for faith in the unseen. Face the disappointment, but do not fear. Play the long game. Embrace the promise. Do not fear. Dare to believe again. And when you have found faith, 
on the other side of fear, look around you. Find somebody else that needs to borrow your faith. Give it away. God, thank you that your light shines. God, thank you that hope has come. Thank you that joy has come to the world. And for everyone that's here today um, that just needs a reminder that you are good, God, I pray right now in the depths of their soul, they would sense your presence. They would sense your favor. They would sense you are a good God who is still at work in the world. For those who are here today that have no trouble believing that God is good and God does good for others but has trouble believing that for themselves, would you remind them that you are the God who sees them and knows them and loves them and works all things together for good? And God, for all of us, would you call us out of the, shallow, of the shallows? Call us out of the shallows and dare us. Dare us to venture out with you into the unknown where miracles happen, where your presence is greatest. God, call us out of the shallows into the deep and give us the faith to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.